podcasts from the cat. Voices and sounds from Crew and Nantwich. Today's guest has worked for some of the largest IT and communications companies in the world, including Adobe and Vocus. Before starting his own consultancy business, Unifica Limited in 2015. Unifica initially focused on providing expert consultative advice to some very large organisations such as Lufthansa, Corfland, and more recently is diversifying into cyber security. And we're extremely pleased to welcome the Managing Director of Unifica Limited, Jordan Dolan. Jordan, welcome to Business Brunch. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Jordan, as I mentioned in your introduction, before you launched your business, you worked for some of the largest IT mm-hmm. companies, including Adobe, well known for its suite of cloud-based creative software, uh, and Vocus involved in email marketing. So tell us why you chose IT as a career path and detail how you developed your current skill set. Yeah, no, really good question. Um, so essentially, I was a bit of a geek when I was younger. Um, and at the age of around about 11, I started programming. I got my first computer, uh, started programming. And then my love for technology and programming really went from went from there. It's, uh, I obviously went to university, went to college, went to university. And then when I got out of university, I initially actually was a ski instructor. <laughs> so this was before I went into technology at all. I became a ski instructor for, for a season and then decided I wanted to change, went back to technology. I um, joined a company called Vocus, which you mentioned, a US company. Uh, they were eventually bought by another company called Cision, and that was an email marketing platform. And uh, then moved and worked to work for a company called Adobe, which I think most people uh, will know, as you said, for the creative uh, products. But they also have a suite of marketing tools as well. Um, I very much enjoyed that. And that sort of led on to one thing after another and really, then obviously ended up becoming self-employed. So working for large companies, you're rubbing shoulders with other mm. um, other motivated individuals. Yep. What what do you feel you gained from working for a large company as opposed to a smaller one? Well, it's a really good idea. And I was sort of lucky enough to, in my early career, work for a smaller organization before I worked for uh, Adobe. And so really, I, I was introduced slowly to the corporate world, I would say. I didn't jump straight into uh, working for Adobe and, and, and dealing with, uh, let's say, some of the politics maybe of, of the larger companies. It, there were these unique challenges for with larger companies. Obviously, you're working with a broader range of uh, expertise. You're working with a broader range of folks. Uh, Adobe obviously have a very well-known offering. And so I was doing a lot of traveling as part of my work with Adobe, uh, traveling around the world, essentially delivering training sessions uh, for their suite of software. Whereas with Vocus, it was uh, much smaller customers. I was often training one, just one or two clients. So there were unique challenges really for for both of those different organizations, but I enjoyed them both. Um, now that I'm self-employed, I run a small company and I, I do prefer it. I think uh, stepping away from the some of the politics um, is nice and uh, it's nice to sort of paddle your own canoe, as they say. <laughs> And when you were working for Adobe, uh, they have such a huge range of of products. Did you need to have an overview of of the whole gamut uh, or or did you specialise? That's a good question. So um, I specialised, although it is definitely beneficial to have an overview of of all the tools. So there are approximately eight pieces of software in the marketing uh, suite for Adobe. And it was the case that a general overview 
of the other tools and products was was useful. But I worked specifically with a tool called Adobe Campaign. Uh, that was an email marketing tool and a text marketing tool. Um, very, very popular now. And it's used by some of the largest organizations in the world. But really, I, I did have to specialize quite quickly. Uh, I, I Because I was giving training sessions, I obviously needed to build up a level of expertise myself quite quickly when I joined the organization. So I took about three months after joining Adobe to, to really get my, my head into, in, into the product. Um, and then I felt as though I was at a stage where I could start to deliver training. And I did that for ooh, around about three years. And uh, it was very enjoyable, got to travel a lot, as I say. I uh, got to travel to India and some fairly, fairly exotic places, which I probably would have never have had the opportunity to, to travel to otherwise. So it was it was a great opportunity. Really, really enjoyed it. Now, you've already alluded to, to you moving uh, into mm. self-employment, but nevertheless, moving from a secure job to self-employment is a bold step and carries a level of risk because you, you're giving up uh, a guaranteed income, you're giving up the, a potential pension perhaps, uh, and you're moving into an area where you've got neither. So, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe ask me in 40 years whether it was a good decision. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you're right. I mean, it, it is a big risk. I'm not sure I was cognizant, completely cognizant of how much of a risk it was when I initially made the, took the decision. Um, it was sort of spontaneous, but we were, we were talking earlier in the office and to an extent, it was less of a choice and more of a happenstance. So when I left Adobe, I actually said to myself, you know what, I'm going to go for a change of direction and I'm not going to work with this piece of software again. Nothing wrong with the software, I just wanted a change. A few days later, uh, after I'd actually stepped out of the door, I got a call from a German organisation. Um, it was actually the German stock exchange, Deutsche Börse. And they needed some support with their Adobe campaign implementation. And uh, when they told me the day rate, it was a bit difficult to turn it down. <laughs> um, but then that, really that was the start of a journey of self-employment. And initially it was just freelancing essentially for, for the first year. And then it grew into, into something a bit larger. And, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a journey. It's been a real journey, very much enjoyable. Uh, but it's, it, it was a risk. I was lucky in the sense that um, I had a supportive network of people around me, family and friends. I think that's really important if you're a, a, an entrepreneur, especially a young entrepreneur. Uh, you, you need that support, I think. And as, as you know, Des, uh, you run a business yourself that you have ups, you have downs, you know, um, and you have to sort of take the rough with the smooth. And I think as long as you can do that and you can plan accordingly, then then you're OK. One thing that I did that did surprise me a bit was... Um, the seasonality and the cyclical nature of it. So there, being self-employed, there were times when we had no work at all uh, for a couple of months and we were sort of surviving off the off the fat that we'd built up, basically. Yeah. And then we had to work hard to get to, to get new contracts. But it always uh, it always worked out. And we were very lucky, actually. We've never had to market our services. But I was going to ask yeah. you, getting your first customer, mm. obviously, is the, is the biggest hurdle. Yeah. And, you, and you did that immediately. Yeah. But how did you continue to develop your customer base? Well, it's such an interesting question because tip, I say we developed our customer base in a rather untypical way because we didn't do any marketing. So the first um, client came to us, uh, just found out about me through through LinkedIn, actually. And then following on from that, all of our clients have been word of mouth. So uh, my initial client uh, referred me to Deutsche Bank. 
um, and then Deutsche Bank referred me to another organisation and we've always we've been lucky really in terms of referrals I think as long as we do a good job um, clients do want to, 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 to support their partners and uh, we've sort of been able to work our way through that. I think for, that works for some businesses quite well. Um, I think for some businesses, obviously, marketing is really important. So I don't want to suggest at all that marketing is uh, not important or diminish the importance of, of, of getting your name out there. That is critical. But it's just something that I've been quite lucky with over the years. I'm sure in the future it's something that we will have to ramp up. But especially as a result of, of COVID and that kind of thing. But we've been lucky. We've been very lucky. Jordan, in your own words, you're sitting at the cutting edge of technological advancement. So talk us through how you support your customers using cloud-based software and high-performance computing. Yeah, so it's obviously technology moves on really, really quickly, uh, particularly digital technology. And we are always having to adapt. Our Because our customers do tend to be, my clients, I should say, tend to be large organisations, they do have very unique requirements and sometimes those unique requirements require some quite innovative and unique uh, technology solutions. So we do make use of uh, platforms like Microsoft Azure and Amazon Web Services and um, all of those uh, technologies. Uh, but we do run into situations where sometimes we have to build something for ourselves because it just doesn't exist. Um, so uh, w one particular example, one of my clients is a, is a supermarket, um, largest supermarket in, in Europe, um, based in Germany. And they required an engine that would allow them to manage uh, offers, essentially, to their customers. And they looked at the systems, the sort of off-the-shelf systems that were available, and nothing really fit the bill. We went through a comparison and analysis of all of those things. And in the end, we came to the conclusion that it would be most cost effective for the company for us to actually build something. So um, we built something from scratch. And um, interestingly, I think it, it, we probably saved time, ironically, because I think it's often the case that when you buy these off the shelf solutions, you have to customize them to some extent. And that customization process can actually take a, a long time. Whereas when we build something from scratch, it really can be built to uh, the exact specifications of, of the client. And that's something that since then we've tried to put forward to other clients as well, uh, reasonably successfully. And uh, it also allows us to be adaptable. So we are able to use uh, programming languages and technologies that are not necessarily widely used. Um, and we find that our customers tend to and our clients tend to react really well to, to what we're able to, to, to achieve. It's a challenge because, of course, when we if, when you do work at the cutting edge of technology, there isn't so much documentation. There isn't so much. There aren't so many peers who you can rely on or, or, or get support from, because by def definition, not many people know about it, that technology. But we work our way through and, and I've always loved learning about new technologies. And, and so it's a constant learning process. And I try and put as much of that into the work that we do as well uh, as I can. So in effect, you're tailor making software yeah, to, exactly. to suit customer need so you're starting with a blank page mm. do you have a template to begin with or, or is it absolutely a blank yeah, page? yeah no it's a great question so most of most of the time we do have a template so at the very least we'll have a template for what we would call the architecture of the system so we we know which systems will need to talk to which other systems we generally have a good idea of the technologies that they will use to talk to each other um, what we don't have is the code. So we will write that code on top of that architecture. But we do try and follow industry best practice, um, and we, we always have done uh, to date. 
um, even if that means being in, innovative in some areas and, 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 and defining best practice in some areas as well. Um, but yeah, it's it does help to start off with a framework. And obviously we have clients who have very similar sometimes requirements. So it means that when we go for a client who has perhaps a, a requirement of another offer engine or a similar email marketing platform or something of that nature, we can implement some of the same technologies that we've built up for other clients. And, and that's that's really helpful. Jordan, coronavirus, as, mm. as you well know, has left an indelible mark on the world yep. and more specifically has changed the way business is conducted for many sectors. So share with us how it's affected Unifica and what changes you've introduced to mitigate its effects. Well, it, it had quite a large impact, actually. It had a larger impact than I think we were expecting. The, initially, uh, in the initial months, uh, marketing spend within organisations was fairly stable. Then what we found is, uh, so about six, eight months into the virus, marketing spend was reduced for a lot of our clients. And that resulted in them wanting to employ more folks internally rather than using uh, outsourcing and uh, using external contractors, which completely understand. Um, but that did reduce in a, uh, or it did result in a reduced quality of, 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 of service in a lot of situations. Um, so it's been up and down. Um, we've sort of survived because we have, our clients still need us and they still need to market their, their products and services, obviously, and they need support. But what we tend to do now is provide more of a um, critical and emergency approach. So we will, rather than do all of the work ourselves for the client, in order to save the client some money and help them to be cost efficient, we will help them train up their internal employees to be able to do the job that we would normally do, which seems sort of counterintuitive, but it, it works quite well. And we then support them on an ongoing basis when, as and when problems arise. And there are complexities, of course, and sometimes those complexities we need to sort of parachute in and, and, and solve. Generally, when we are brought in or asked to come into an organisation, those organisations have already used another supplier and something's gone wrong um, with that other supplier. Not mentioning any names, of course. But, <laughs> um, and, and so oftentimes budget has already been spent. A lot of budget's been spent up to that stage. So we, we're tasked often with doing things very cost efficiently um, but effectively also yeah. so just briefly based on what you've just said there mm. could quite likely be an, another supplier waiting for you yeah. to get it wrong yes so how do you ensure that you 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 stay on track and you um, sure. meet, meet the needs of the customer yeah so the big one is obviously doing a good job um, but I think actually more important than the act or, or equally as important as the product that we actually create or the software that we write is the relationship that we build with that client so we, we do um, establish really good relationships with uh, not only management within the organisations that we work with, but also the day-to-day -day operational users. So we do talk to and interview the end users. And I think that's something that's sometimes missing uh, because it's all very well management having a view of how they want the software to work. But at the end of the day, it's other folks who are often using it on a day-to-day -day basis. So we, we get in with them, we talk to them, we interview them. And I think in that sense, once we've built up that rapport and that level of trust with the client, it becomes a situation whereby to, to move to another service provider would be tricky for them. Of course, it's doable, but there, there wouldn't really be any good reason to do so. Yeah. Um, we, we charge fairly and we, we do the work. We're honest. I think integrity is a massive thing. So if there's something we can't do or 
you know, sometimes there are delays, etc. We're honest about it. And I think the clients value that. I have seen um, other organisations who can do the same job largely, but won't necessarily, uh, maybe the integrity is not there or there's an element of, again, pol- uh, politics in there. And we try, I try and step away from that. Yeah. I think that makes a big difference. Podcasts from the cat. Jordan, you're you're able to take on big jobs with large corporations by using subcontractors. Yeah. However, sometimes this can compromise the high level of service that uh, I'm sure you demand. So talk us through how you manage your subcontractors whilst maintaining the high levels of service that your that your customers demand yeah so i think this is a skill that i've learned uh over the years and probably got got better at. i think i was uh it, it took me a while to build up that skill set what we don't do is when we receive a brief we don't just sort of take that and outsource that to a subcontractor so we're very much project managing everything um and doing a great deal of the work ourselves what we tend to do is take on individuals, so literally, you know, one or two people who are specialists in their field. So we're very careful about who we, who we recruit. And to give you an example, we did some work for Marie Curie Cancer Research uh, around about six, seven years ago. We were helping them build up their email f- campaigns for their fundraising efforts. And I went out and I found really really experienced a great guy who is uh, has a good load of experience in building responsive emails uh, and email campaigns we took him on and he was great and i think it's all about again establishing establishing good relationships with subcontractors um paying them on time that's <laughs> yeah it's it's um it sounds obvious but uh it's so important i mean uh, as far as i'm concerned you know always paid everybody on time um, just out of respect more than anything else even if we've not necessarily always been paid on time by our clients we make sure that we pay the subcontractors on time they've done the job that they were asked to do and uh, so we have a great relationship with with the subcontractors and I think more than anything what it does do is it gives us the flexibility not only to choose the kind of experience that we need for various projects but we can scale up and down quite quickly when we use subcontractors in a way that might be more difficult if we had folks uh, on PAYE employed basis. I would like to move towards more um, employees um, because I think there are some really talented young people coming through, coming out of the universities um, and we should try and harness some of that, some of that talent. But a lot of the time the companies can't wait for us to be sort of training people up and bringing people up to standard a lot of them as i say they've they've got a problem now and they need it solving now and so we need to find the right people to do it oftentimes i'm at the i'm at the sharp end so i still code um i still write code often i'm still designing architecture um i like to sort of have my uh uh, head in the weeds so to speak i, I like to be involved and in, and in, in actually doing the work so i try to again really um, step away from the political side of it and and uh, I think most people would say I don't really act like a managing director in that sense because I'm I'm not sat in a in a in a wood paneled room drink sipping whiskey you know what I mean? <laughs> sort of, it's very much uh, getting down and, and 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 dirty and doing the work that needs to be done okay it's uh, Jordan it's always good to hear how businesses support the local community yeah. and and you've worked directly with a number of charities mm-hmm. And you've also provided mentoring opportunities. So tell us more about your community involvement and why you feel it's important to continue. 
as you rightly say, we've worked with a number of charities. So uh, we work with the National Trust, we've worked with Marie Curie Cancer Research and various others. Um, always a challenge because, of course, working with charities, they have limited budgets um, for their efforts. So we need to be quite innovative in the way in which we implement things for them. And but a great, so very enjoyable. And actually, some of the most enjoyable projects we've had have been with have been in the charity sector. Um, obviously, when charities are fundraising, they have to reach out. They have to contact their their uh, base of uh, subscribers, and it's it is difficult to have people part with their money for a charity. You know, people sort of need to be convinced that the charity is doing good work and, and the National Trust and Marie Curie do do great work. And so from that perspective, the, the campaigns were really successful. In terms of mentorship, um, this is, I think, so important. I think it's I was talking about how we bring in subcontractors. Most of the subcontractors are a bit older, a bit more experienced. However, I do think it's increasingly important to look at graduates, to look at folks coming out of school and college. Um, and, and look at what opportunities we can provide to them. For example, we, we, we've provided some mentorship opportunities for recent graduates from university. Um, most of them have perhaps done a business management degree or an IT degree, some computing related degree. And we really provide them a route into the industry, the IT industry. And it's a great industry to be in. I think at the moment, especially, there's many of us who are looking for uh, new lines of work, new jobs, new career paths. And I'd, one of the things I'd say to your listeners is if they do have an interest in technology, um, or programming or, or, or digital technology of any kind. It really is a great industry. Um, it's very buoyant. There's much more demand than there is supply at the moment, especially in the UK. And it's a constant opportunity to learn. Um, and we want to be a part of that. And we're, I'm ramping up and I plan to ramp up this year and next year our mentorship opportunities as well, uh, for specifically for young people. Jordan, you have terrific ideas to develop your customer base and take the business forward in 2023. So talk us through your plans and their expected outcomes. Sure. So we've got a range of different ideas. And I think one of the things that's important in business as well is to be flexible. So we have a plan, but uh, the best laid plans often change. So we do want to be flexible. However, one of the main plans we have as an organisation for, for this year going into next year is to build out a training platform. Now, in the marketing technology industry, there are various different platforms online through which people can train their staff or, or self-train. Um, they are out there. The difference is that a lot of them are not interactive. So in these training sessions, you're often not able to work with the software directly that you're going to be uh, learning. Um, you have to read through a lot of documentation that can be quite difficult, quite dry for a lot of people. So really, we want to build a very interactive training platform which allows for peer-to-peer -peer training, whereby folks who are perhaps transitioning into the IT industry or transitioning into the marketing technology industry can actually look at onboarding themselves, working with experienced peers. So we will have consultants who they can work with directly, uh, folks who have worked in the industry for, for many years, um, many even more experienced than, than myself. And uh, it would be a it's, a, it's very exciting, actually. So we're still in the early design process for this platform. It will be accessible online. Um, it will be free to sign up to. And it will be, I think, a great opportunity for, for all kinds of folks. And especially at the moment, as, as, as we said before, a lot of folks are transitioning into different careers at the moment. And, I, you know, I'd really encourage people to to consider IT as a, as a career and computing as a career. For me, I've always been an autodidact. So I've always been someone who sort of likes to teach myself. Um, but I think 
whilst the platform will enable you to do that, it will also hook you up with, um, as I say, very experienced professionals who will be able to support you. Uh, so very exciting. Um, it is going to be very specific to the digital marketing industry. So it's not going to be sort of general, um, generalistic programming or anything like that. But it's, uh, I think it's going to provide a great opportunity. And, and if some of the things I think, or some of the mistakes that are perhaps made when folks graduate and go into the world of work, are that they have a lot of the technical knowledge, but they don't necessarily have some of the, um, let's say, the street smarts around working for organisations and working with clients. That could be anything from uh, sort of how to conduct yourself in a, in a, in a particular kind of meet, technical meeting. It could be how to draw architectural diagrams. It could be a whole range of different things, really. And it's those kind of soft skills that we want to teach it, alongside the technical skills. And I think when those two things are harnessed together, that's where they, that's where they can really start to offer uh, something to, to the industry. Not to diminish universities or colleges in any way. I think the, the, there are some great graduates coming out of, of, of these uh, colleges and universities. But it feels like the soft skills sometimes aren't there. Um, and so we want to provide the whole package, really. And ideally, we want to then use our connections with industry and companies in the industry to actually sort of act. Recruitment consultant isn't quite the right, right word, but to, to um, signpost uh, people into jobs in industry and, and careers in industry so it's very exciting and of course we have our own clients who will benefit from 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 their expertise as well so more to come on that um but it's it's very early design stages but very 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 exciting sounds like quite a complex move for you it, it is i mean we've i think more complex than anything is it's the first sort of b2c uh work that we've done before yeah. so um, we've always been in the B2B industry in the past and um, this training platform will be available on a B2B and a B2C basis. So that's going to be something very new for us. And I'm sure it'll come with its challenges. And, you know, I, I've been in business long enough to know that expect the unexpected as, as much as that is a cliche. It's true. Um, but yeah, just roll with it and learn. And, uh, and I think most folks who know whatever line of business they work in, um, Lay the plans down, lay the frameworks and the foundations down, but be prepared for change. Absolutely. And, um, I'm, I'm well ready for that, you know. Now, you're also moving into cybersecurity, yeah. which is a huge area. Um, obviously, businesses are at the sharp end in respect yeah. of the damage hackers can sure, do sure. Uh, to businesses is phenomenal. And we all it know is. what happened to the NHS only yes. a few years ago. Yeah. So uh, t tell us about um, the effects of poor mm. uh, cybersecurity and what you mm. intend to do. Well, as you rightly said, I mean, we, we saw quite publicly the effects with the NHS and the, and the ransomware on their systems. And there are a great many more uh, of those kind of things that we don't we're not told <laughs> we're not told about in the in the public domain um, that occur on a regular basis and, and we're under constant attack. Um, when we set up a system, for example, we can see that that system gets attacked immediately. So within a few seconds of us setting up the system, the attacks are coming in from, from various countries around the world, for, both from state organisations and from uh, individuals. Uh, it is a massive thing and it is a problem in the UK. We have an under, uh, we're, we're understaffed and under talented in terms of cybersecurity. Uh, this can change. Again, really talented young people coming through and I think we can change that, but we do need to upskill as a country in terms of cybersecurity. Problems can range uh, from obviously large hacks as we saw with the NHS, but also small businesses need to think about increasingly about cybersecurity. So even if you're running you know, a cafe or a, 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 re a small retail business or something of that nature, 
as long as you have computing devices and, and networked devices in your in your business, you, you need to think about cybersecurity. That's not to say you need to panic about it or you need to worry about it or you need to spend massive amounts of money sorting things out. But it's good to be aware of some of the key mistakes that are made. And interestingly, cybersecurity also drops over into physical security. So often uh, many cybersecurity attacks don't even involve computers. So they could be social engineering attacks, for example. Um, we were asked to go into one business, I won't name because we were under an NDA with them, but um, we were asked to test their security systems. And very, very uh, simple test. They had uh, passes, ID passes, and in order to get into the building, you had to swipe your pass, basically. And we tried the old thing of going in there and pretending to have forgotten our pass and walking in behind someone and saying, oh, sorry, I forgot my pass. Can you just let me in? And it's amazing how often they will. And it's quite scary. And this organization was, again, I won't name them, but a very large organization. And the areas of the organization that we were able to access as a result of that contained confidential information. And when we, when we produced the report uh, to, to the management um, at the end, they were quite shocked. And now this isn't a fault, I should say, of individuals in the organisation. This is normally a, a wider training issue. So we can all, you know, we all hold a door open for someone every so often or uh, forget to lock something or something of that nature. It's just about getting into a habit and a routine. And that's before that perimeter security is before you even get to the, the security in the actual computer systems. You know, that's a, yeah. um, because by the time you get to that level, uh, you know, mistakes have already been made. Uh, normally but it's a, it's such an exciting area and it's an it's a growing area i think it's an area that is only going to as you said it's not it's an area that's only going to grow um, yeah. the turnover is already increasing massively across the industry um and it's an area where we do need to upskill and it's not just enough to rely on the government to protect us um small businesses in particular um need to become au fait with this kind of thing Want, there are many resources online that they can they can access. Um, another thing they can do, of course, is there are many local um, workshops, uh, often in the cities like Manchester, London, Birmingham, cybersecurity workshops, often free to attend. Um, and even if you just go to one of them and pick up just a few tips, it's it's often worth it. So it's a it's a big thing. It's getting bigger, and it's uh, something that we all have a responsibility for. Jordan, thank you so much for giving us an insight into the fascinating world of IT uh, and how it's used to benefit others in business. Should any of our listeners want to contact you, where can they find more information about Unifica? So we're sort of a bit unknown in the sense, bizarrely, we don't have a website uh, and we never have had. Uh, part of the reason for that is that we've, we don't market our services. Everything's done through word of mouth. However, um, my email address is jordan, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, at Unifica .co.uk that's u-n-i-f-i-c-a.co.uk people are more than welcome to email me with questions or if they want to find out about how to get into the industry or they, they they're interested in some cyber security solutions uh, for their own uh, business whether a small business an sme or a, or a larger business they can get in touch there and yeah i'll be more than happy to, to to talk to them jordan thank you for coming on the cat today my pleasure thanks des go to listen.thisisthecat.com for more podcasts some more ways to listen